Don't let a bad day become more. It's Leaning Toward Wisdom, the podcast. Many motivational speakers talk about having had a bad day. You know, most of them, they'll go on to share how they lost it all or how life crushed them down below the ground level, left them homeless, destitute. Uh, But the phoenix, it will always rise back up. I mean, never mind that quite a few of these stories we hear are fabricated. Okay, maybe not all of them. Let's talk about truth though true stories my story your story not letting a bad day become more that's today's episode of leaning toward wisdom modern tales of an ancient pursuit greetings and welcome inside the yellow studio my name is randy cantrell i'm your host here The website is leaningtowardwisdom.com. Let's talk about reality. Who was the artist, the musician that sang that song, You Had a Bad Day? I'll find it. I'll embed the video if I can find it in the show notes. Just go to leaningtowardwisdom.com and find the episode for today, which is, and I should know this, Honey, hush, let me look this up. October? Is it possible that we're into October already? We are. We are. Chop my legs off and call me shorty. It is Thursday, October the 5th, 2023. You had a bad day. Uh, Pain. Let's talk about pain for a little bit because pain is a common topic for all of us. Uh, I may not necessarily be talking about physical injury-based, sickness-based pain, although it could be, but I'm thinking about victim-based pain. I'm thinking about the you-hurt-me kind of pain, you-did-me-wrong kind of pain. Now, let me tell you what sparked this. Some months ago, I was having a conversation about... Well, I I wasn't having the conversation. The person was having a conversation with me about trauma, trauma. Now, in my head, I'm thinking about, I don't know, my head immediately went to soldiers in warfare who have seen things that my eyes have never seen. Lord willing, my eyes will never see except depictions in movies or in documentaries. And sometimes that's plenty bad enough. But I haven't been there and lived it. And they have, and I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, you say trauma, and I'm thinking that kind of a, of a trauma. And, of course, people throw around PTSD as though that's just, you know, I mean, anything and everything can evidently cause that. Who knew? Uh, the Internet has increasingly become this place where people seem to enjoy airing out all of their dirty laundry and pining about how much trauma they have experienced. Well, I'm, I'm having this conversation. I, I hear the word trauma, and I'm thinking one thing, and it's very clear to me that, no, that's not what this person has in mind. This person has in mind uh, – here's my description. It, it's the injustices that this person has had to endure. Well, you have you? Has anybody ever treated you ill? Has anybody ever misjudged you? Has anybody treated you poorly? Well, yeah, 
Oh, well, then get in line. Get in, the, get in this line. Get in line right behind me. This is the trauma line, don't you understand? I just, it's just not my viewpoint. And it got me to thinking about this. And, it, and of course, instantly after I realized the context of this conversation, I, I thought about the Internet. I thought about all of these people, whether it's Instagram, whether it's whatever the platform may be, these people, you know, airing out the trauma, and that's their word, that they've experienced. And, man, for people who are inclined to see themselves as victims, the Internet is boomtown this thriving place where we can enjoy feeling sorry for ourselves. And hopefully, I suppose, if all goes well, then we can get other people to feel sorry for us. And I've just seen so much in social media, people blaming other people for what's going on in their life, what they're struggling with in their life, the trauma that they have experienced in their life. That was the impetus for today's show. Just so you know, just in full transparency. In spite of the TikTok influencers who want to blast the boomers, my generation, I'll put a link because this happened some months ago. There's this TikToker who was blasting my generation. I'm, I'm a baby boomer because we fail to understand things like work ethic. We, we fail to understand today's world. We don't have a clue about the way the world works today. We And, of course, there's a host of other complaints that every younger generation has about the older generation All you have to do is read history, well, or live long enough. (laughs) I mean, many of those hippies who attended Woodstock, they went on to become quite successful on Wall Street and many other places associated with financial success. Who would have thunk it? Every generation thinks it's the smartest to ever come along until they get old and they realize how wrong they were. This generation will do the same thing. You know, I don't care. I really don't care where anybody is on the timeline of life. And the reason I don't mainly is because there's nothing you can do about it. I didn't have any say in being a baby boomer. I just was. My kids didn't have any say in being Gen X or millennial. By the way, if you're as confused as I was, because I had to, I had to figure this out. I had to go and research because I'm like, okay, I've lost track. I've lost track. I mean, once you got past the millennial, I'm like, okay, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know what's next. Gen Z, by the way. <laughs> I don't know what we're up to now, but I found this chart. I'll, I'll embed this. It's it's fairly interesting. So there's Gen Z. Gen Z, they are currently between 11 and 26 years old. And then there are the millennials, and they're 27 to 42. And then there's Gen X, and they're currently 43 to 58. And then there's boomers too aka generation jones and that's people that are between 59 and 68 that's where i'm at and then there's boomers one they're 69 to 77 then there's post-war and they're 78 to 95 and then there's world war ii and they're 96 to 101 so to give you a clue my dad is world war ii he'll be 100 my well, he is 100. My mom is post-war. She's 91. And then you skip one. The boomer's one. I'm not in there. I'm in the next one. I'm in the boomer's two. Well, I until I see this chart, I didn't even know there were two distinct, distinct groups of boomers. Maybe you do that. I, I didn't know. I didn't know there was a boomer one and boomer two. <laughs> I, I guess it's such a big group. I suppose they feared, you know, we, just, we need to split this group up. 
Generation Jones boomers. That, that's where I am. Uh, this is the generation that was too young to be drafted into military service because of the Vietnam War. And our parents were mostly these post-war or World War II folks, you know, people whose dad served in World War II. Yeah, well, the times are changing. The times are always changing. And with it, I have discovered language changes. For instance, words like trauma. Trauma. For my generation, trauma, suffering, pain, those denote something very different than they do for Gen Z, that person that's 11 to 26. I mean, being slighted by somebody, being snubbed, I will go so far, even ridiculed, bullied. I love this one. Uh, for me, none of those things qualify as trauma. Gen Z views these things as traumatic. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, if you were to write a mean, hateful review of this podcast for Apple Podcast, no, don't do that. Please don't do that. But I, I honestly wouldn't think much of it. I don't know that I would even know unless there's some Apple thing that notifies you i certainly would not be traumatized by it it would likely cause me very little if any discomfort i might be puzzled by it but my viewpoint would probably have a lot to do more with the author of the review than it would have anything to do with me this is just the way i'm wired i would probably wonder What's happening with somebody's life that might compel them to go to the trouble to write this out? But I think that every day when I look at social media, I think, you know, somebody, they took the time to get their phone or their computer in hand and to actually type out words, something to air this grievance. Hmm. That's just interesting to me. And it would be likely that the person to write such a review would have never reached out to me because that's just not how these things work, right? We get behind the keyboard and we get all kinds of courage. Oh, well, did you talk to them? Did you let them? Oh, no, no, we didn't have any communication. No, I'm kidding. I'm not about to reach out to them. But take that same scenario and apply that to a podcaster half my age. It might devastate them. <laughs> I mean, it might even cause them to quit podcasting. They might have to go into therapy. A single hateful review. A complete stranger wielding that kind of power, that just seems strangely weird to me. But I see it. I see it every day. You see it. Podcasters and anybody else who, who's doing anything consider themselves traumatized by some unjust critic or what they think is an unjust critic. I'm not going to take issue. If somebody wants to criticize and say, well, you know, this, this leaning toward wisdom thing is just atrocious. I, could be. The trauma is only possible because we give other people permission. We say yes to whatever it is that we think is happening, or we reject it and we move on with our life, which is frankly what I choose to do. But a person can have a bad day. They can have a bad day. And you know what? They can take it out on you. They can take it out on me. That affects me how? Well, it doesn't if I don't let it. But it could cause me 
cause, could cause me to have a bad day too, if I permit. If I decide I'm going to be negatively impacted because there's some ninny who doesn't have a clue about me or my life or what's going on with me, some stranger who happens to click play on my podcast and, and okay, then that's on me, not them. And by the way, no such thing has ever happened. I'm speaking fictitiously because, well, I'm so well, I'm so beloved. (laughs) Nobody would dare be ugly about me. Certainly not in public. Yeah, that's not true. I mean, if we're going to start holding that up as the trauma card, well, we've all got a trauma card that we can play then because everybody has suffered some injustice. Did my generation grow up learning to care less about what other people thought? Maybe. Did my generation grow up not clamoring for approval? Okay, likely. Did my generation grow up working for tyrants and the man? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. There were exceptions. Not very many. Did my generation learn work ethic and learn that it worked and that it benefited our life? Absolutely. We positively did learn that. Life taught us that. Our parents taught us that. Did my generation get it all correct? Nope. And neither did the generation before me and none after me will either. Here's the difference. Because boomers, just at this point in time, it's not because the boomers are boomers, it's just because we're older. Because boomers are older, we have endured more bad days. We have seen more bad days. Hopefully we have also seen more good days. And we have had to figure it out more simply because we've had more of it to figure out. Because we've lived longer. Experience matters. It also means we have experienced more mistakes. We have found things that did not work. We found things that colossally did not work. We have found some things that may have worked out magically. True value is from the self-reflection of those experiences, though. It's not just about getting older. You can hear people comment about, you know, you, you don't get to be old being no fool. Well, yeah, you can. A young fool can absolutely turn into an old fool. The passing of time isn't where wisdom is found. That's not where the magic is. It helps. The passing of time helps. The experience helps. And it's necessary, but it's only valuable if you learn from it. The learning demands self-reflection. It demands some sober thinking. It demands some course correction. It demands some admission that, okay, well, that didn't work, so let me try something else. Perspective matters when it is based on accumulated wisdom. And accumulated wisdom only happens when we learn, we grow, we improve. And these are not passive activities. The passing of time is a passive activity. You're going to get older no matter what you do. I'm going to get older no matter what I do. I'm not necessarily going to learn and grow and improve no matter what, but I'm going to get older no matter what. Now, parents get it. Well, let me qualify that. Parents should get it. As we're teaching our kids certain things that we learned a long time ago, it's disconcerting whenever our kids behave as though they've already figured it out when we see them clearly struggling to learn it. But any parent, particularly of young teenagers, has seen this. We've experienced this. 
And those of us that are older, we've experienced behaving this way ourselves. And then as parents and grandparents, we've experienced it in witnessing it in our kids. Okay, well, with youth comes this degree of insecurity that is manifested as arrogance, cockiness. Right? We think we think we got the answers. We know this. We got this. Okay, well, let me give you some clarification. Some of us who are old, older parents, we get it. So, I mean, just this week, I'm listening to a couple of podcasts and the hosts, I would say the hosts are probably between the ages of 30 and 45. And one of the hosts is telling a story about being, you know, down on the beach, four-year-old daughter this past summer, she's refusing to come in and the family, they've been at the beach all day long and it's time now to retreat back to where they're staying and get under the air conditioner and relax and the little girl does not want to leave the beach. And so she is pitching a wild eyed fit. Dad picks her up. She is screaming at the top of her lungs. You're hurting me. You're hurting me. And followed by, I hate you. I hate you. <laughs> and he's carrying this kid. He says it's about 150 yards. And she is yelling these things at the top of her lungs the entire time that he's walking with her. And during the podcast, he is lamenting repeatedly man, there's just nothing you can do. There's just nothing you can do. She's four. They get to their room and he's trying to clean the sand off of her in the shower. She is continuing this. She's pitching a fit. That's what she's doing. She's not getting her way and she's mad as she can be. And so this continues. According to him, he could have been exaggerating, but according to him for 15 minutes while they're inside the bathroom, he's got the door closed. I mean, he's just He's just trying to endure this and ride this out. And again, he's repeating throughout the podcast, there's just nothing you can do. There's just nothing you can do. You're stuck. And I'm listening to this and I'm thinking to myself, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Dad. He's in his 30s. I'm thinking there is plenty you can do. In fact, there is so much that you should do as a parent. The other podcast, there's this mom and she's talking about her daughter and taking her daughter ice skating for the very first time. Her daughter's never been on ice skates, doesn't know how. But the daughter is screaming at her mom to let her go. Uh, she's acting just like the other little girl from the beach. She is screaming how the mom is hurting her, even though what the mom is doing is simply attempting to hold this child upright so she can stay on her feet on ice skates. And in the podcast, these moms are talking, and this mom says, you know, what do you do? I mean, what do you do? Her co-host, this other mom, says, well, there's just nothing you can do. And they both are lamenting how, you know, you don't want people to think that you're abusing your child. Now, I'm sitting here, and I'm thinking, but you are abusing your child. You are abusing your child by not correcting your child and disciplining your child. I know spanking is political suicide because people stopped listening to God. We think leaving children to themselves. This is wise. This is, we just need to ride this out. I mean, what are we going to do? There's no, there's nothing we can do. Oh, there's plenty you can do. We think leaving these kids to themselves, that's the wise course of action. God sees it as a source of shame for parents. It's foolishness. Society used to see it the same way God saw it, but we outgrew God. We outgrew God a long time ago. We outgrew God's wisdom. The Bible has an awful lot to say about what we owe our children in order to serve them. I'll put a link. 
if you are so inclined, I'll put a link to just some Bible verses that you can read. Let me give you one. In Proverbs 29, verse 15, the rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Bring shame to father as well, the whole family, the whole society. So many parents have a bad day because they are not willing to correct and serve their kids. And now both the parent and the child are having a bad day. And that bad day can grow into a bad month, a bad year, might result in a bad life. All because the child deserved to learn right and wrong. What's acceptable, what is not acceptable. Good, great behavior versus bad, poor behavior. The child could have been taught that very early on. And if we as a society and as parents, if we don't want to teach our kids these things, shame on us. Political correctness has created so many bad days for so many people. And thankfully, the tide is beginning to turn. It's just beginning to turn. But it's interesting how many parents you hear lament, there's just nothing you can do. There's just nothing you can do. I stand by the premise. It goes back to we're just, we're just, we're victims. This four-year-old, I'm just a victim of the fact that I've got a four-year-old that isn't yet five, six, seven, and they'll, they'll grow out of it. Will they? Let me tell you, I avoided so many bad days because my parents and other adults in my life delivered a bad moment to me. A moment, a moment when I was spanked, a moment when I was scolded, a moment when I was warned, not threatened, that if I didn't behave differently, then I would suffer a consequence. And by the way, the difference, a, a warning, I knew I grew up in an era when parents warned, they didn't threaten. And the difference between a warning and a threat is a warning will most certainly have consequences if it's not followed. A threat? Yeah. I'll bet. I'll bet they're not going to do what they claim they're going to do. And how many times have we seen parents threaten kids and never follow through? And we think, well, they don't know. They don't know. Maybe they do too. They know you're bluffing. They know you don't mean it. There's much less certainty that there will be a consequence when it's a threat. Ah, but a warning. I told you what would happen. I grew up in an era like that, and I will be the first to tell you I'm a better person today for it. Bad days are compounded when there is no correction. I'm a preschooler in a small town in Oklahoma where my dad had a service station and a garage on Main Street. Now, I would go to his place of work, and I enjoyed the smell of new tires and oil and all those other odors that are associated with that kind of a business. Mostly what I remember enjoying is the pinball machine that was inside the showroom area. And I loved hanging around the place. I mean, between the showroom area and the garage area, just, yeah, just a lot, a lot to investigate, a lot to form an adventure around. Well, a preacher was coming to town. And the preacher was due to arrive at the bus station some blocks away. And my dad was supposed to go pick him up. And this preacher was a fixture in my life. I loved hearing him preach and tell stories sitting in our home. But this was a man that would not put up with foolishness. And he was known to correct children in the midst of worship if they were misbehaving and moms and dads weren't on top of it. 
Well, I was just mortified. I mean, I paid attention. I'm like, he's not about to correct me from up there in the pulpit because I knew whatever he would do to me that might be humiliating, it would be way worse when I got home. So I wasn't about to test this old man who didn't suffer foolishness. And in my little world, any kid who was not afraid of him, well, they were just an idiot. (laughs) And if he scolded you, man, you snapped too. Now I'm a preschooler, but I've been lying. And my mother is attempting to correct this bad behavior. She's using the old school. Well, look me in the eye, which I never did quite understand because I would just look her in the eye and lie. Evidently, uh, knowing that this preacher was mere moments away, And knowing how fearful I was of him, my mother, so we're at my father's place of work, and my mother is warning me about what is going to happen, trying to break me of this lying habit. And by the way, this worked. (laughs) So scared, I ran into the men's room of my dad's garage, and I locked the door, and I refused to come out. I wasn't screaming. I wasn't pitching a fit. I knew better than that. I was just terrified knowing that now my mom is going to tell this preacher I've been lying and now I'm, I'm going to have to suffer whatever wrath he's got. His name was Linwood and my mother warned me. She didn't threaten me. She warned me when Linwood comes, I'm going to tell him that you've been lying. So my dad goes to pick up the preacher Linwood and within minutes, there's this loud knock on the bathroom door. Randy, it's Linwood. Come out here right now. That's all I remember. <laughs> I I have no idea. I I don't remember opening the door. I I must have blacked out. I don't remember. It was over 60 years ago. All I remember is the stern knock on the door and the announcement, it's Linwood, come out here right now. And that's it. I I don't remember anything else. <laughs> But the lesson remains with me, even though, I mean, Linwood has been dead for a number of years now. And I often think, what if that wouldn't have happened? What if my life experience didn't include that little story that I just recited? Would I be better? Would I be better because of the adults in my life just decided, you know, we're just going to endure his idiocy and his foolishness? It's bad behavior, but we're just going to hope he grows out of it. Would I have really been a better human If my adults had done that for me as a kid, would I be a better human if adults in my life, those who claim to love me, if they would have simply said, well, there's just nothing we can do about his line. You know, there's just nothing we can do. But that's what's been happening for at least 30 years now in society. And it's largely why so many more people are having bad days that turn into so much more so we can join the feel sorry for me tribe it's a big tribe it's growing by the way exponentially because well we enjoy being part of something acceptance that's a big deal it's bigger when you're younger i know because i was once young and now i'm old i once cared i now don't care at all Today, I don't much care what anybody thinks unless what they think is incorrect. When it depends, and then it depends on what it is. I have zero respect for false accusers, and I've had 
I've had a few. Pompous, arrogant, judgment-filled, self-righteous idiots with a dishonest agenda. They exist. They're all over the world. But otherwise, I'm not working to impress anybody. I'm not working to be accepted by anybody. I'm not working to be popular among anybody. If you interview anybody over the age of 60, you will find fewer people who care about those things than if you were to interview somebody under the age of 30. I mean, this is where the woke culture has had a devastating impact. It has motivated an increasing number of people to become part of this feel-sorry-for-me tribe. Gallup proved the point with the LGBT identification in the United States. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put a chart here. This chart was produced by Gallup, you know, the polling folks. This was in 2021. Americans' self-identification as LGBT by generation. This was done as a percentage. You'll find this interesting. Traditionalists, those people born before 1946, who identify as being part of the LGBT tribe, 0.8%. 0.8%. Baby boomers, people born between 46 and 64, 1946 to 1964, 2.6%. Generation X, those people born from 1965 to 1980, 4.2%. Millennials, born between 1981 and 1996, 10.5%. You're seeing a trend? 0.8 to 2.6 to 4.2. Now we're up to 10.5. Now let's go to those Generation Z, born 1997 to 2003. 20.8%. Now you could, and I think you would be right, you could read those numbers, and you could focus on a decline of morality. You could, and again, I think you'd be right, focus on the decline in respect for God's authority and his design. All of that aside, there's a reason that it has been promoted as gay pride. Pride. Young people want to be accepted. They want to be part of this approved tribe. Certainly, you want to be associated with a tribe that's got pride. Additionally, to push to transition the gender of little kids. Okay, it's shocking, but it's fitting of the agenda. I looked at Gallup's numbers, and honestly, I was not shocked based on the generations. Nor is it shocking that DEI, diversity, equality, and inclusion, that it's mandated in just about every arena in life, work, school, government, religious organizations. As a Christian, I have a response. I would say read Romans chapter 1 or listen to today's woke culture. Well, I'd prefer to trust God and his word. After all, he is the creator of the world, and he holds more power and authority than anybody or anything. My response is very typical of something, and I didn't come up with this, but I thought it was rather ingenious. And I would give attribution, but I don't know who to attribute this to because there was no attribution when I first saw it some years ago. But it's a dialogue between a secular person and a Christian. And here's how the dialogue sounds. I'm going to embed this over the show notes, leaningtowardwisdom.com. Secular person, I want to do X, fill in the blank. Christian, you're free to do what you want. Secular person, but you think X is wrong. 
Christian, yes. Secular person, because you want to control me. Christian, no, you're free to do whatever you want. Secular person, but you think X is wrong. Christian, yes, but only because I want what's best for you. Secular person, but I want to do X. Christian, you're free to do whatever you want. Secular person, but I want you to say X is okay. Christian, I can't say that. Secular person, why are you so hateful, mean, and intolerant? (laughs) It's exactly how it goes. It's exactly how it goes. From all the current sexual gender tribes to the more innocuous woe-is-me tribes, this is still a very powerful cultural pull, especially for younger people. Acceptance and attention, they're powerful magnets for us. You know, when I was growing up, there were always those kids in class. Maybe it's still true. There were always those kids in class who were disruptive almost every day. The adults properly taught me that many of these kids, they they want, they need attention. Probably something to that. Life has certainly taught me the reality of that. People chase attention in a variety of ways, and not all of them are good. Before my school experience, I would say in kindergarten, I could see very clearly that sickness could play a role for some people. I would notice people who enjoyed the, the, the attention that ill health got them. I was just a little kid, but I would learn, and largely at church, I would learn that, you know, some people are just sick all the time. And it, it dawned on me before I ever entered elementary school, I knew that there were people who enjoyed having people ask them, how are you feeling today? You feel, you feel, have you had a good day? Without the illness, people might not ask. But with the illness, people could be, they could become the center of attention. And if they didn't have the attention, who would they be then? Now, I've since grown to be an old person, and I've seen this. But I've also seen this trickle down in the past 20 years to the embracing, I would the relishing of being a victim. Culture has contributed as society has shifted away from personal responsibility and personal accountability. Listen, it's terrific. It's wonderful. Nothing's my fault. Trauma. It's, I, I'm to blame for nothing. The universe is imposed on me. Government tells me what's right. They tell me what's wrong. They tell me what I should do, what I shouldn't do. God disappears. My obligations to God, those disappear. Acceptance. That is my virtue. I accept anybody and everybody. I'm tolerant of anybody and everybody. Being part of the tribe, this tribe of this tribe tolerance. That's how I'm going to live because it is the way forward. And everything else is mean and hateful and intolerant. It's a lie, but what we believe can become a true delusion. Enter the word trauma, the whole thing that began this whole line of thinking. You hear it every day if you're paying attention. Every injustice, every unkind word is traumatic. Trauma. Trauma. It has so damaged me that I'm now struggling. And it's urgent. It's urgent for you. It's urgent for all of you to know what I have endured and, and how, how badly I'm struggling. It's not my fault. It's not my fault. Should be replaced with, well, now what am I going to do? What if we decide to forego the blame game and we embrace the responsibility that we have for our own life? What if we did that? How might that work out? Now, I'm, I'm crazy enough and wise enough and experienced enough. It, it would be, <laughs> I mean, think of the empowerment 
Think of the empowerment making us accountable for our behavior, including our responses to whatever bad things or good things happen to us. Or what if we accept responsibility for the outcome of our life? And depending on that outcome, we might not, we might not feel great about ourselves. I mean, if we can't have anybody to blame, that's not going to feel very good. It scares the snot out of people. Wait a minute, what? I have to accept responsibility for my own life? Well, that's not fair. I mean, folks, it's a broken, crippling viewpoint. Short-term gain for long-term, even lifetime pain. It's, It's bad math. It's bad, bad math. I get that the attention can feel good. I get people can notice. I get people can ask how you're doing. Oh, are you doing? I get that we can garner some sympathy. I get that it may impose on people to think about us, even feel sad or sorry for us, pat us on the back, tell us how sad or sorry they are that we're going through this. Wish we wish you didn't have to go through that. And suddenly the spotlight feels good, addicting even. So maybe we come back for more and more and more. Maybe never realizing that we are weakening ourselves with every encounter. We are damaging our resolve. In some cases, it's beyond repair. Injuring ourselves more and more, weakening ourselves more and more than any perceived trauma that we may have endured in life, young or old. Because now, here's what we've learned. We've learned how to be helpless. We have learned to be helpless. And we've learned to be fearful. Recovery might be impossible. I don't know. It's an awful low depth from which to recover. And many people sink so deep they can't find their way back to the surface of personal responsibility, back to where the air is fresh, back to where they can breathe again. And so a bad day becomes much, much more because we gave it permission to grow. We gave it permission to intensify. We have given it permission to define us and our life. And it's like that tropical storm that begins very small in the middle of the Atlantic and then a sudden surge of pleasure we get from others who feel sorry for us. Okay, well, that builds and it compounds and it picks up energy all along the way. And months or years later, now it's a full-blown self-centered, woe-is-me hurricane And it's got deadly impact on our life. A force so powerful it overtakes us, it destroys our willingness to deploy grit and determination to make our life better, no matter what's happened to us. Newsflash, if you're alive, you've had some bad things happen to you. And no, they're not all your fault. But so what? You're going to have to deal with them. Don't let disappointments define you. Listen, this is not about minimizing bad things that can happen to us. It's about refusing to magnify them. You know, we enlarge things when they're beneficial, like photos. You ever enlarged a photo? Yeah, me too. Why? Well, because it helped you see it more clearly. But we can also enlarge things, and it takes away value. It diminishes value. And some things are really even harmful They're not just marginally detrimental, but they're harmful if we enlarge them. If we make them bigger than they really are, it's just a bad deal for us and everybody around us. You can do that with disappointments and suffering and pain and sorrow and sadness. You can. Where's the benefit? Is there benefit in hoping that 
everybody will feel badly about us. Maybe they'll notice us more. And how does that help us? Yeah, I'd like everybody to know me as the king of disappointment. I'd like to wear the crown as the queen of suffering. Yeah, that's hardly an admirable reputation goal. But an awful lot of us are living our life hoping that we'll be the king or queen of those things. We're free to do what we want. I'm free to do what I want. You're free to do what you want. That's not a government thing. That's just a human thing. God created us where we can make up our own mind. That includes that we can make up our mind that we hate him. We hate everything that he's about. We don't even believe he's real. We can behave like four-year-olds that yell at our dad who's taken us off the beach after we've been there all day long because now he's calling it a day, and we can yell how badly we hate him and how much he's hurting us, but that does not mean that all that we're yelling is true. But we can still yell. We can feel sorry for ourselves. My advice today is don't let a bad day become more. It's not that you're going to avoid bad days. You're not. You're going to have a bad day. We all are. We all have. The only ones among us that have had our last bad day are those of us that won't live to see a new day. But if we live to see a new day, the odds are tomorrow can be a bad day or not I'm the type that's wondering what can we do what can we do to ensure that tomorrow is as good a day as possible what can we do today to make sure that today is as good as we can possibly make it it might be bad anyway but what if we had faith and optimism And by the way, I don't know that you can be optimistic without faith. I've got friends who are atheists, even agnostic, and I don't know how you can be optimistic without faith. I could be wrong. I just don't understand how. I don't trust the U.S. government to solve all my problems. I don't suffer society or the universe to be my savior I've relied on God to supply that and he has in the man Jesus Christ that's me you can make your own decisions and your own choices you want to hear more about that go to endthypaths.com or I would encourage you to check out somebody that can preach way better than me at let the bible speak TV. But whatever you do, no matter how you're bent or unbent religiously, don't let a bad day become more. Don't live your life as a victim. LeaningTowardWisdom.com is the website. My name is Randy Cantrell. Greetings and welcome inside the Yellow Studio. Studio.